Good evening, this is Gary Kavner here on TRSI. I hope all is well with you and yours and that you're having a good time. And it's my pleasure to be back to have another chat with you guys. I'm afraid I have no Michael Dwyer with me today. Not because Michael did anything, Michael is a man of the highest integrity, but rather because we recorded a podcast earlier and I had a small technological hiccup, which I didn't notice but should have noticed. And it basically meant that I, my side of the podcast was recorded, but it was totally unusable and would have been painful for you guys to listen to. So I told Michael I would do another podcast, and he laughed at me in a manner that I think was unnecessarily cruel, because these things actually take a bit of time to do. And so here we are again. Now, we had talked in the podcast that doesn't exist, or that you guys will never hear, we talked mostly about actual news pieces. And so I wanted to talk about something a little bit, um, a little bit different. I will say, actually, on the last podcast I did, I got some comments back on that from people. People very rightly pointed out that I said I wanted to do a podcast that did not revolve entirely around coronavirus, and then spoke pretty much entirely about coronavirus. Those people were absolutely correct to point that out. But in my defence, and you may not have noticed this, but there is really no news that doesn't relate to coronavirus. I mean, I think at this point, I would love to read something that was just not about coronavirus. At the best, it's about coronavirus, and it's kind of funny. That's kind of the high point we're going for here, but it will be about coronavirus in some way. And on that note, what I want to talk about today is not... It is not the coronavirus, but it is obviously related to coronavirus, because... With that sort of setup, it would be a bit weird if it wasn't related to coronavirus right now. But what I actually wanted to talk about was um, Leo. Leo uh, Varadkar. And also how coronavirus has changed the political landscape quite substantially. I mean, you guys may remember an election way in the past in which Sinn Féin did really well. But it feels like it was years ago, doesn't it? As opposed to a month ago. Turns out a global pandemic is really able to switch up people's perceptions of things. But anyway, let's talk about Leo. Leo came out yesterday and he gave basically an address to the nation. It was about 10 minutes long. And he laid out fairly explicitly what was happening with coronavirus, the risks associated with it, where he was concerned, where he thought we would do well. He quoted Churchill. He said this is going to get worse before it gets better. He also said that not all superheroes wear capes, which, you know, it's kind of cringe. But overall, it was probably one of the best speeches that Leo gave over his entire premiership. And I was watching it, I was listening to it, and the only thought I had was, you know, where was this guy since Leo got elected? Because the person we saw standing up there seemed like a very different person from the person who's been leading the country for the last period. And there is the old saying, you've probably heard it before, that uh, come at the hour, come at the man. That people rise to the occasion you put in front of them. It got me thinking, and it was something I occasionally think of, and occasionally when I meet some of the Fine Gael guys, um, just in general, or particularly those who would know Leo, and I like to ask them, what happened with the Leo premiership? Because my opinion of it is that Leo, rather than being a good or bad Prime Minister, I think we can put that to the side. Taoiseach, Prime Minister, whatever. I, I'll use those fairly interchangeably. The real thing we can say about Leah's premiership is that it was disappointing. 
And I've heard that from a couple of people who know him, that they think he's going to look back on this, and he'll be disappointed in how he did. And it's a very strange thing, because you look at Leo a couple of years before he gets into power, and he seems like a very different man than when he gets into power. He's much more right-wing, he's much more your own money in your own pocket, rah-rah, tax cuts, rah-rah, we'll fix the system. And then he gets into power, and I don't mean this in a pejorative sense, but it, it strikes me as having been a profoundly lazy administration in that it did things when it felt it had to do them and there was no other choice, and otherwise it didn't do them. And I don't know if that's if that's due to Leo's communication style, or the people around Leo, or the circumstances around it, but it, it, it was just a very odd comparison. I can remember talking with people just after Leo had gotten elected, and this man was the great hope of the Thatcherite right. Like They were saying, you know, like, bring it on, bring on the tax cuts, the union breaking, whatever. We're up for that. And then you met those people half a year later or a year later, and uh, they just had this stunned, shell-shocked, what the hell is this kind of approach to them. Because what they thought was going to be a very strongly right-wing leadership became very centrist, very inoffensive. And I mean, years from now, after this is all over, I think that will be, that'll be the interesting question. Why did this go the way it did? Even if you think it went well, I think we can all agree far more could have been done with this administration than was done with it in the end. And it'll be interesting if Leo actually cares about that, or if he's one of those people who's only concerned about his legacy. I don't know the man personally, and I've heard various different positions from people who feel different things towards him, and I don't know what's correct, and I'm not going to guess what is correct. But it is just interesting to think what could have been with that administration, and where we would be now if that administration had been as we believed it to be. But anyway... That's just me reminiscing about what is, you know, at this point, the political ancient history of this. One thing I will say about that speech, people, I saw people attacking it, mostly people from the left, mostly the Shinners, also some people on the right who very, very correctly pointed out that there was nothing really new in the speech. He didn't really announce any new policies. He didn't really say what we were doing. It was just a very... It was a very sort of vague speech, and in many cases they were. It didn't give specific policy contributions, it didn't give anything like that. But when I talked to people who aren't interested in politics, or who are not fans of Leo about it, or when I looked at discussions that were happening on social media, and by social media I mean Facebook, because normal people use Facebook, and normal people do not use Twitter. Journalists and people incredibly interested in politics use Twitter, which is why... Twitter so often is at incredible variance to the general public because they've convinced themselves they're one they're listening to is a normal person and they're not. But the general thing I, I got from people was that Leo came across as strong, he came across as calm, and the most important thing, they trusted him to handle this. And even people who had been, they were no fans of Fine Fall, or sorry, Fine Gael. it's an easy mistake to make these days, and there were no fans of Leo, they liked that speech. They liked the tone it set. And for people who say, well, you know, tone is not policy, I would have to respectfully disagree. Tone is very much policy. And you see the impact of tone on things like panic buying. 
or public order. If people start panicking, if they think the situation is out of control, you will effectively set a policy, but not one you'll want to set. So they thought he came across strong. They thought they might vote for him. And these were people who hadn't voted for Leo in the last election. So it's an interesting question then, because before this, the political maths was very simple. Finnegale wanted to go into opposition, but another election could have absolutely destroyed them. But if they continue handling this, or more importantly, being seen to handle this calmly and strongly and with a plan in place, that could very quickly change. Sinn Féin is pretty much off the stage in relation to COVID-19. They don't seem to have any ideas. They don't seem to be anywhere. So I think, I mean, a global pandemic is never a good thing in the widest sense possible. But there are always people who will benefit from a shake-up of an existing order. And amusingly enough, the order that was put in place just before COVID-19 broke here was one where Sinn Féin was in the ascendancy and Fine Gael was relegated to the dusk heap of history. And now, that may not be the case anymore. So there's an interesting question here of people inside Fine Gael, a lot of them were pushing for Leo to go. I think this will make them pull back a bit on that because, you know, he's he is showing a little bit of stuff that he hasn't shown in years at this point. And then it becomes a question of, well, is he going to stick around for a while? Will they run another election? Does this make Fianna Fáil more likely to get in with Sinn Féin? Because if this goes really well for Fine Gael, and they get through this as a caretaker government, all of that you have to go in with Fianna Fáil to keep out Sinn Féin may become a lot less pressing because they won't be as worried about how badly they're going to get crushed in a second election. The longer this goes on, the more time they also have to get money. Sinn Féin has way more cash than Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael. But if Leo presents strongly and membership and donations start coming in, but if Leo presents strongly and membership and donations start coming in because of that, well, Fine Gael could find itself in a very different position in another election. And it will be immensely odd if someone who is a caretaker Taoiseach, effectively a lame duck, is able to do that largely just through appearing calm and following the scientific evidence that he has available to him. It's also odd that it it has been Leo who's primarily been pushed to the foreground on this as opposed to Simon Harris. Harris is playing a fairly solid role on this, actually, but he's very much in the background. So I th- my, my view on this, and I've had many people disagree with me on this, is that a solid showing in this instance, unless there is an immediate movement into government, through this whole 2-2-1 system that Martin wants so badly. It's going to tell Fine Gael that another election is the option, and maybe not in opposition either, or not having opposition as the desired outcome. I'd be very interested in seeing political polling done during this. I don't think anyone is going to bother because, I mean, I said the only news is coronavirus. But you go from a place where people go, well, we really want change, to one in which the old system, as they see it, saves their lives, safeguards the country, manages everything well, and uh, that may be an entirely turnaround. Now, you also have the fact that whoever governs the country after this may have an absolute mess on their hands. I mean, the unemployment rate of this country pretty much doubled in four days last week. 
it's expected the unemployment rate is going to hit about 15% by the time this is over. And if it goes on long, it could even go above that. Now, most of the analysis of this suggests that there's no systematic risk to the actual system here. And so when we exit the quarantine, you would expect to see a fairly rapid upward movement. But that means a couple of things. That means the budget surplus that we have pretty much gone. With the measures they put in place to to keep people from being sacked, or even just increased unemployment claims, that's gone. That is that is gone. And then you have the increased cost of coronavirus um, mitigation measures. So whoever goes into government now doesn't have any money to mess around with. All those manifesto commitments to do anything, they are meaningless. Because between the time you voted on it and the time they took power, everything changed. Changed utterly. And a terrible beauty was born. No, it's... Sorry, I'm just... I'm always looking for an excuse to quote Yeats. And there's never really a good time, because most of his poems are either so... Like, if anyone asks, what's your favourite Yeats poem? It's like two or three that people will say, and they're inoffensive, and everyone loves them, and they're great. And then the rest of his stuff is broadly apocalyptic in scale, and if you're quoting it, it means, you know, the horsemen are riding in, and everything is burnt down. I think we uh, we could see... Once this thing clears up, we could see a very big change in the trajectory of the other parties. And the party that would seem... Now, I don't know on this. This 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 could go either way. I'd be interested in what you guys think. If you want to email me at garyatgrip.ie, if you have any views on this, and we might go through them in the next episode for the, the, the longer Sunday episode. If Fine Gael is standing up, and Fine Gael is seen as the face of public health and competency here, and Sinn Féin is the alternative party for people who just don't like Fine Gael and don't like the current system. Where does that leave Fianna Fáil? So I could see a situation in which Fianna Fáil is squeezed by this. The people who just want change but don't really have anything against Fine Gael could go back to Fine Gael if this works well, if they do this competently. The people who don't like them will stay with Fine Gael, or sorry, with Sinn Féin, and you'll have the core of Fianna Fáil support will be there with them. But those other people who move around based on what they actually think best represents them, will they stay with Fianna Fáil or will they go to Fine Gael? Now, the problem that Leo will now have is that the people complaining about his speech are right. Speeches need to be followed by action. But there aren't that many courses of action available on this other than the best scientific advice we can get. Even the British government has changed its... uh, its policy of dealing with coronavirus. Although in the British press, there is all this crowning from the crowing from the left-wing press that they forced this change by complaining about the British government and how its um, its herd immunity strategy was terrible and unworkable and ethnic cleansing and eugenics and whatever term they could throw at it. And when you look at it, the British government relied on scientific advice The people who gave that advice discovered they had made a mistake in the calculations. They went back to the British government. They said, actually, we've made a mistake. What you should do is this. And the British government changed. They changed based upon the scientific advice of their advisors. People screaming at them didn't really do anything. And there is something admirable about a government that just kind of goes, we don't really care what you say. We're going to do what we think will work. And... If it works, you're not going to thank us, but it's what we think we should do. Now, I did mention that there were a number of issues with the strategy they had. Um, 
particularly related to we, we weren't sure if herd immunity was something that would actually that was actually a runner with COVID nineteen, and that would have been um, that would have made the entire strategy totally pointless. Uh, interestingly enough, between the time we recorded the podcast where we talked about this and today, some research has come out, I think from one of the Australian universities, suggesting that COVID-19 does leave antibodies to itself in those who have been infected, which would indicate that there you can't get reinfected with it. Now, it's still unsure how long those antibodies last. Uh, they could be for the rest of your life. They could be for a couple of months. But if it's for the rest of your life, well, then we shouldn't see a sort of second wave in COVID-19 as we saw with the Spanish flu. There's also some weird, uh, and this may actually be of, of use to some people, some research did come out that suggested that um, if you have COVID-19 19 syndrome, symptoms, that you should avoid taking uh, ibuprofen. Uh, ibuprofen. Um, basically, the I think it came from the French. They said there'd been a study in The Lancet that hypothesized that anti-inflammation drugs such as ibuprofen could worsen COVID-19 infections and that um, you should use to, uh, you should look to using paracetamol. And the World Health Organization came out and said um, pretty much the same thing. Now, the EMA, the European Medicines Agency, has also come out and said, well, if you are on ibuprofen, do not stop using it uh, if you've been prescribed it. But if you feel yourself getting sick, uh, paracetamol should be your first medication of choice rather than ibuprofen. But just don't stop if you um, are currently using it. We haven't really seen much mention of it in the uh, in the Irish media. Uh, I saw I saw it on the international media, but has doesn't seem to have come up in the Irish media. So that might be something that's useful to a couple of listeners if you are feeling sick and you are not currently. Um, using ibuprofen and you haven't been recommended to use it by a doctor or a physician, paracetamol would be the preferred way to self-medicate. But back on onto the actual political, the political mapping here, I think this has changed things. Not least because I don't know if you've seen the figures, but if you haven't, the trolley watches that the unions do, no one is on trolleys, no one is in wards, no one is using accident and emergency services. And for the most part, when I say no one, I mean zero. A lot of the Dublin hospitals have no one attending their emergency accident and emergency rooms. And for years, people have been saying that part of the problem with um, clogging up the A&Es is people who don't need to be there. People on medical cards who don't. If you have a medical card, you don't have to pay the the hospital fees for attending accident and emergency. Usually, if you don't have a GP's referral, there is a cost if you attend, but not if you have a medical card. So the argument was that people were clogging up the system, and lo and behold, a greater threat emerges, and people stop going in. Now, I think a lot of those people are just going to be people like, oh, I have a broken arm. I don't really want to go somewhere. There is a potentially lethal uh, virus, or there's a chance of me picking it up. But on the other hand, trolley problems fixed under Fine Gael. Can't argue with those results. So I think I think this will change. I think Leo has become, and the longer he can keep this going, where he is handling this or seen to handle this in a way the public support, the better position Fine Gael become for second election. And I think internally, the less appealing 
going in with Fianna Fáil becomes. And I mean, this was a situation that no one really predicted coming. So it's it'll be, it'll be fascinating to see how voters treat Leo and Fine Gael after this, if it goes well. Leo quoted Churchill in his speech yesterday. The old never was so much owed by so many to so few. And that I think will be the interesting will be the interesting point of comparison. Winston Churchill leads Britain, he leads the UK to victory in World War Two. He is beloved by the people for having done that. He is a figure of immense respect after World War Two. And then people vote him out because they recognise the good he had done, but also sort of go, It's it's no longer your time. But it could I mean, you could have a situation where Finnegale handles this so well that they're able to go into a next election and come out the largest party again. And that'll be interesting to I mean if that happens, it'll be interesting to see if Leo sticks around or if Leo goes to a job in Europe. Because I, there were people saying that the speech yesterday was very much aimed at a European audience. And to an extent, they would also be right. But it is part of his job to present Ireland to foreign countries in a particular way. Partially to keep confidence in Ireland as a trading partner and as an ally. And so to say there's a European aspect to it, uh, I think is, is absolutely fine. Because obviously there is any leader giving a national address. There is some element of international politics in that. Unless they just do not care at all, in which case, you know, go back to the backbenches. Yeah, I'd be, I would be really interested in hearing your view on this. If you have, is Leo, well, firstly, do you think Leo is handling this well? I mean, personally, I'll say that when this was starting off, I didn't think they were treating this seriously enough. I thought we were lagging behind a bit that hard steps are going to have to be taken, and there wasn't a willingness to take them. Now, I understood why that would be, because closing businesses, closing pubs, closing restaurants, closing schools, closing whatever, although we haven't gotten to the restaurants yet, much to the dismay of the Restauranteers Association and Adrian Cummins, who was really good in for it. But there's an economic cost to all of that. And as I said, the unemployment rate basically doubled in four days. And when the unemployment rate goes up, people die. People get worse off. A fall in the country's GDP is reflected in debt and in kind of misery. So it's not as simple to say as, well, you have to do this or deaths will happen, because by doing it, you could kill people. And so it's not an easy thing for a politician to do or for anyone to do. In many ways, it is the political equivalent of triaging care. But I think after that, they very much came into their own. And do I agree with all of the steps they've taken? No, I think some have gone too far, some haven't gone far enough. But I think they've now shown that they're willing to make difficult decisions if they feel they're necessary. And so I'm interested, Like, do you guys think he's doing a good job? And beyond that, do you think after this, are voters going to go back to Fine Gael? Are people going to think of him as you know, someone that you'd want to vote for, someone competent who can, you know, who can control things and maybe had a bad run or maybe not the best run, but if he got back in again, yeah, you'd, you'd trust him to do fairly solid work. And if that's the case, what do you think is going to happen to uh, Sinn Féin or uh, Fianna Fáil? If you have any opinions on those, send them to garyatgrip.ie and we might go through a couple of them in the next episode. I mean, as I said, it's just me on my own today. So I think we will we will cut it there before half an hour. And uh, I'll try and get this uploaded as quickly as possible so that we, we don't have to skip a day because I hate skipping a day because 
a surprising amount of people listen to the show, and we've said we'll keep a schedule. And while we are volunteers on this, you know, I hate the idea of people thinking that they're going to get something from us and then not delivering it to them. Um, it just annoys me immensely. Um, so yes, hopefully you, you've enjoyed this. I, I'd love to hear your views. And until the next time we meet for a chat, uh, I hope that you and yours uh, have only the best. <laughs>